0: So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Yeah, full, simple, simple, Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right.
1: now. <laughs> now. Welcome again to another edition of the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. As always, this is David. Uh, Chris has the week off this week, but don't worry, I have a very... Uh, worthy replacement, a person that we've had on here before and you're going to uh, really enjoy. I do want to ask you before we get started to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed. Like our page on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Digital Killed, the Radio Star Podcast. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podchaser, or SoundCloud. And if you could leave us a a five-star review, that would be great on uh, Facebook or iTunes or Podchaser. We'd really appreciate that. And send a little something in the mail to you to uh thank you for uh for helping us out so um when i first started this podcast one of the first times that chris could not be on here um i had become friends online with a gentleman at the time was living in california by the name of sonny pooney and he was either our first or second guest co-host on our podcast we did an episode on underrated rock vocalists which was which was really good and fascinating and Anyway, Sonny is going on to uh, much bigger and better things. Um, if you listen to Rock podcasts, there's a chance you're going to come across one he either co-hosts or is on. Primarily, he is a co-host with Stephen Michael on the Growing Up Rock pro- Podcast, which is a, just a great, a great podcast. They recently did one that came out uh, this weekend on Queen, and I think it's the best one they've done yet. And then if you're a big fan of Kiss, uh, he is on a podcast called Podcast Rock City. So uh Sonny is going to be our guest this week, and we're going to talk about one of his favorite things in the world, and that was the uh the artist known as Prince. So uh without further ado, Sonny Pooney. Sonny, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, David. How are you?
1: Man, I, I, I am I am doing really well. Um I've got Monday night football on right here uh in the out of the corner of my eye and uh talk getting talk music and talk about one of the uh, truly transcendent artists of our time um, today. So, uh, before we get to talking about Prince, um, kind of explain to people how you have how you have become so, so big into podcasting and, and wound up on two different podcasts, and then you know you routinely get like like ours, you routinely uh, are, are on other people's podcasts. Kind of kind of walk us through that because I don't know if I've ever really heard the story of how that happened
0: yeah it really happened by uh, just by chance, which uh, and luck, which most of my life is seems to be that way. Um, and a love for music. So I travel a lot, and I would listen to my iPhone a lot, music. i I kind of got away from serious radio and all that. i was uh, I was getting too sanitized for me. And uh, so I started listening to my phone a lot, and then I started listening to audiobooks. The problem with audiobooks sometimes, though, is, you're listening to one subject for maybe six or seven hours at a time, and uh, my ADD uh, kind of kicks in and I get bored, right? So somebody suggested try podcasts. So I'm like, okay, well, I could try podcasts. That that sounds fun. Um, and the first podcast that I tried was Decibel Geek. And luckily, Decibel Geek has all these other spawned podcasts. So they were talking about all these other podcasts that they know and almost gave me a laundry list list of podcasts to check out. And as I started kind of checking into it, I'm like, man, these guys kind of have the same likes I do. I wonder if I can do something like this when I retire someday. And, uh, you know, I'm in my late 40s, so I got a ways to go to retire. But uh, so I uh, donated for the Rockin' Pod First Expo uh, to be on Decibel Geek and was nervous as hell, did an episode, thought it came out pretty good and donate to like four or five others just to kind of get an idea of like get it out of my system uh... did the four or five podcasts i was done and one day i get a call from steven uh... asking if uh... you know i would like to join a podcast idea that he had going because he had heard my podcast on Decimal Geek, and that's kind of where it started so um being on, on a bunch of other podcasts i will tell you it simply happens by not saying no basically having time having a schedule and just not saying no.
1: Well, it seems like uh, every time, especially the the Decibel Geek family, at least once a week you turn on. I mean, I look at my podcast, and I either I have you know growing up rock, which I think comes out every Sunday. Uh, I'm not a big Kiss fan, so the, I, I miss the Kiss podcast. But then, uh, and I've donated to Decibel Geek as well a couple of times, like you have, and have been on there. But then, um, you know, you're, you're just a, a wealth of a uh, wealth of knowledge and. You know, Chris and I are very eclectic with our taste. You know, we, we like to say we'll talk about anything from Johnny Cash to Megadeth. And just from, you know, meeting you a couple of times and then, and then talking to you and then interacting with you online, you know, you're not you're not strictly just sitting there listening to Kiss and, and, and hard rock and stuff from the 80s. You're as into, you know, pop music and, and, and soul and, and R&B as, as anything if I'm if I re- interpreting everything correctly.
0: Yeah, I would say that's very accurate. I'm a, I'm an MTV kid, right? So uh, the folks that grew up in the 70s, you could say that they were really album and radio kids. The kids that grew up in the 80s, probably MTV kids. The kids that grew up in the late 90s and 2000s probably are like the guitar hero kids, right? So when you're an MTV kid, you get pop music force-fed to you um, with no end. And uh, so, you know, I started liking pop music, I started liking Motown. I'm not that much into country, so Johnny Cash is a lot of, a little bit out of my bang zone. And then I kind of draw the line at, when the vocals get a little cookie monster, I draw the line kind of like at a, a Venn Sevenfold. That's where kind of the line's drawn for me. <laughs> it doesn't get really any harder than that. Uh, but in between that, yeah, I love melody, I love great vocal, love the good guitar riffs. So. Yeah, I bounce around from uh, music to music for sure. And Sonny is not a man that's afraid to admit he loves a good ballad. I love me some ballads. I, I, we just did the Queen episode, and I teared up at the movie a couple of times. Man, there was there was some hard pullers on in that movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, you got to check out Bohemian Rhapsody. It was a great
1: movie. Yeah, my wife and I are going on actually on a date Friday, and uh, Friday afternoon going to go see it. Uh, I agree with you. The song "Save Me" that is. That is a phenomenal song, a kind of overlooked song, I think, in their catalog, to be completely honest with you.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. My, my favorite song is You're My Best Friend, but you know, it's, there's so much of the Queen catalog um, that is just incredible musicianship that you really just don't see nowadays. It, there's, there's nobody doing it to their level. There's the Sons of Apollo that are doing the prog rock, metal, slash hard rock thing. But then you've got you know you got folks that just kind of get into their genre and stick it there. So,
1: well, they were all over the place. I mean, you know, some of it, you know, you had the big anthemic uh, rock songs and like uh, you know Fat Bottom Girls, and then you just had you know straight up full full pedal to the metal rockers like Tie Your Mother Down, and then you have Save Me and you know Find Me Somebody to Love, and then you know Bohemian Rhapsodies, unlike unlike anything that's, I think has ever been played on top 40 radio, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I can't even say that I like all Queens songs because they lose me sometimes. Cause I, I like the, the stupid down, da- you know, drum down four minute song. Like that's, you know, it's got four instruments and a great vocal and that's about it. So sometimes they lose me, but, uh, the more I hear it though, the more I like it.
1: I got to ask you then, um, since you you like the uh, concise songs, I know Sons of Apollo has you know some of your favorite musicians in it. But how do you do? You just have to kind of like uh, grin and bear it, since that's some of your favorite musicians. Or are you able to handle those eight and nine minute songs?
0: Uh, it's more the grin and bear it. Uh, I've I've said it out loud. If it, if Jeff Scott Soto's not in that band, I don't probably even give it a chance. And, you know, Maiden gets me sometimes, because I love Iron Maiden, but damn it, like, cut the songs down about two, three minutes, please. See, I don't... All right, so I think there's a difference between,
1: like, jamming and noodling. Chris and I get in this argument all the time. I love a lot of jam bands, like Widespread Panic, the Almond Brothers, Government Mule, uh, things like Black Crows at times can, can can jam. I think there's a difference, though, between that and noodling, like... To me, a good jam or you know, or a prog solo or whatever is one that builds to a crescendo. I have a payoff. You know, I'm going to sit here and wait a couple of minutes through this, but it's going to you know, it's going to culminate with this you know big big you know crescendo at the end versus like noodling. But I have found that on some of the like like some of the really long Metallica songs come close to being prog rock. I don't like it like with the metal stuff because a lot of times it's just the same riff over and over again, you know, and there's not any real playing Now sons of Apollo. I've given it a couple of spins and for whatever reason, it just doesn't, it doesn't hit it for me. But, uh, I remember when that, the press release came out, who all was in that band. And the first thing that crossed my mind was Sonny Pune about to be the head of their fan
0: club. Yeah, that was true. Cause I remember when I first heard the songs, I'm like, oh, my God, these are long. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree with you. And I think it's it's more about heavy metal music when it becomes jam bandy. It's uh, more about just kind of holding on to the aggression and emotion for a while instead of building up to the emotion. It's right. the emotion's already been created. So let's get all the energy out while we're there kind of thing. Right. Yeah, it's like on Metallica's *Death Magnetic*, which I
1: love that album. But every one of those songs could have been two minutes shorter, and it would have been a whole
0: lot better. Um, it's true with *Master of Puppets*. Like they you know, oh yeah, those songs don't need to be eight, nine minutes long.
1: No, no. Did you get the uh, *Injustice for All* um, reissue that came out Friday? I have not gotten it yet. You know, they didn't add the bass to it, so it's a that's a that's a no go for me. So, what did they change? I, I honestly, I don't think they changed anything. You know, they came out with like the super deluxe box set. That's like $200 with um, a couple of different shows from that time frame, And, you know, they say they remastered it, but the thing sounded so terrible to begin with. And I've, I've heard, I've, I've heard different interviews with, I don't know if it was Michael Wagner. I know he played a role in that or who else was on it, but they said that they think the analog tapes are in such bad shape that there's no way they could have, uh, if they wanted to remaster it, that they could really put the bass in it without just basically having Newstead go sit somewhere in a studio and then play it and then them add it in. Uh, but you know there is a there's a YouTube video called Justice for Jason where somebody has added bass to uh, the album. It's actually fairly interesting to hear. Um, but yeah, that's one of those remasters I won't be uh, getting. I got the remastered Master of Puppets and it actually sound it actually sounds better, but yeah, I was really hoping they were going to put, you know, the bass in. If they would, I would have I would have shelled out top dollar for that, but it's not happening. And I feel like Lars it's, at this point now, it's just an ego thing for him. He can't admit that they messed that up, you know?
0: I can understand that. Yeah. I can't imagine them going in and having Jason do bass and just adding it in. No. It just probably uh-huh. wouldn't sound right. No, it wouldn't all right
1: so sonny we have talked a little bit about your uh, your broad music uh uh listening and and uh normally uh when you do your podcast episode with uh stephen Michael on growing up rock which uh, like i said I, I wholeheartedly recommend stephen tries to keep you on track with uh the more of the guitar oriented music and so i was thinking uh the other day uh i wanted want to do an episode with you and i was like. I feel like there's a lot more about Prince he wants to talk about, but he doesn't get to talk about it as much on, on Growing Up Rock. So I was like, i tell you what, I'll just turn it over to him. We'll let him be the be the expert on Prince, and, and he can talk about Prince all he wants to. Um, so you said you were a child of the MTV generation. So I'm assuming your first exposure to Prince was probably like the Little Red Corvette video or 1999 or something like that.
0: Yeah, I got into MTV early '84, so those videos were in heavy circulation. My first Prince album, and actually, I bought four. My first album purchase was four albums on the same day, and Purple Rain was one of them. So, uh, yeah, by the time that I get to MTV, uh, all the 1999 videos uh, were on there constantly, and uh, you know, When Doves Cry and those type of videos were just coming on. And Prince, you know, for somebody who hadn't quite formulated what their musical taste was going to be, man, I love the funk. And to this day, any rock that has a little funk to it, like Extreme, oh my God, I love Extreme because it's got that funk, right? So uh, there's something about Prince that immediately connected um, and... And he was talking about all kinds of things like relationships and social issues and politics and religion and sex and fun and party and power. And there was all these messages within the music that was so cool. So, yeah, he hooked me.
1: You know, I I think one of the things that gets missed when people talk about him is at the time when he came out and was on MTV, MTV was very much a segregated channel. There were not a lot of African-American people on there. And I don't know if you've ever seen the video where they're interviewing David Bowie on MTV, and he turns it basically turns the interview around and was like, "Why don't you have more African American? Uh, you know, at the time he called them black people. You know, black uh, artists on here." And Michael Jackson and Prince were really the first two that came on there and really exposed were, were exposed over MTV, and you know, of course, Michael Jackson was big, but then Prince you know, became, I, I, I don't know, I, I guess depends on how you judging it. Like, if I had to name, like, the five biggest artists out of the 80s, he's got to be, it's got to be Michael Jackson, Madonna, and Prince. Um, or it's in some combination. But, yeah, people never seem to bring that up. They always bring up Michael Jackson. But I, I believe Prince played just as big of a part of, you know, of exposing, you know, middle America to, you know, an African-American entertainer at the time as Michael Jackson did.
0: Yeah, I think where uh, they had two different philosophies, and this is, you know, just my opinion. I think Michael Jackson was purposely trying to hit the pop charts and wanted to be a pop darling. And, you know, he's named the king of pop for a reason. Where Prince, it was important that he never got too far away from that 70s James Brown, George Clinton, um, uh, Sly and the Family Stone. He didn't want to get too far away from him. It was almost more important to him that he was R&B and dance before he was pop. Now, he ended up crossing over. But if the philosophy is not to go all pop, then you're not going to be um, as big as Michael Jackson. And, you know, Michael sold more albums probably because of it. Sold more albums, but I, I think uh I don't think without
1: question Prince was easily the better musician.
0: Uh um, hands down.
1: Um you know, you look at his catalog, so you've got albums like Purple Rain, which is, is part rock album, part pop album. You have Sign of the Times, which is, you know, straight up funk. Um the uh, the oh the nineteen ninety nine album. That that was the name of it, right? The one with Little Red yeah. Corvette. You yep. know, it was very guitar oriented. And then, you know, he had the point in the 90s where he really got back to the funk and and, and the soul. And uh, it always, always, I mean, we'll never find out now because he's dead. But I always wonder what it would sound like if he just said, all right, you know, I've done all of this. I'm just going to make a straight up guitar oriented rock record. I think it would have sounded amazing.
0: Yeah, there's one close uh, 1993's album, Come is close Mm -hmm. but even there um he didn't get too far away from the funk right that uh you would have to if you went through all the songs that i have on my ipod you can probably come up with 12 to 15 straight rock tunes but they'd be from spanning from 80 to 2014 but you could make a greatest hits rock album probably somebody should probably do that
1: well do you think You know, supposedly there's just a treasure trove of stuff in the vault. Do you think there's a guitar album in there somewhere?
0: No, I don't think so. I think uh, the albums and the songs that are in there either sounded like other things that he was already doing or he didn't feel like they were the best of the best. I totally believe there's a vault. I hope to God that uh, the folks that are handling his estate handle it well, that they do it the right way. If I was them, I would release an album every year, and Prince would be a household name for the next thirty years.
1: Yeah, it'd be like Elvis. Yeah, you know, just or, release an album every year. Or you know, Hendrix Estate keeps finding stuff to either re-release or package differently every year. Uh, and and he was in, you know, Hendrix was only really around four or five years. Have you ever been to Paisley Park? I have not. It's on the bucket list, and you can go there now on like a tour, correct?
0: Uh yeah, now I've been to the first street bar, the Purple Rain where he played in uh in the movie. Right. I've been to that bar, but I uh, have not been to Paisley Park, but yeah, it's basically a museum now.
1: All right, so I'm fascinated sometimes by Google Earth. And I remember when he died getting on Google Earth and looking at Paisley Park. It's just kind of like an in- is am I wrong in this? It's like in an industrial part of town.
0: Uh yeah, it's like a compound. Uh yeah, it's not exactly in residential. That's correct. And
1: he lived there, correct, right, as well?
0: Yeah, he lived there, and uh, you know, the stories are that his band members lived there too, so that way if he got up at 2 o'clock in the morning and wanted to record something or wanted to jam something out, that he would wake everybody up and they'd be there in minutes.
1: Man, I tell you what, it'd have to be a a pretty good retainer for me to live in Minneapolis year-round in that cold and and be at someone's beckoning call at 2 a.m.,
0: it's Prince, baby.
1: <laughs> That's, tr- <laughs> <I chew> it. <laughs> That's true. Hey, let me ask you this: um, Why did he seem to change backing bands so much? You know, you had the uh, Prince and the was it in the um, Revolution, and the Revolution, and then you had um, Power Generation. Yeah, pa- yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just completely drawing a blank. Yeah. And then, like yeah. at the end, he, he did the stuff with like that girl band.
0: Yeah, the, the Third eyed Girl. Yeah, yeah,
1: I mean. Was it just that he couldn't keep people around or was it he just got bored with the sound or kind of a combination of both?
0: I think it's a little bit of both. Um, You know, somebody like Alice Cooper is doing something similar, right? There's always new members Mm -hmm. and then they get other opportunities. And Alice is the first one that steps up and says, you should go take that opportunity because this was a launching pad for your career. Prince was a launching pad for many careers. Sheila E. Right. Right. And then he always loved the classic guys like Eric Leeds, you know, guys that were unbelievably talented that he always wanted to be around. So I think part of it was it keeps it fresh. Part of it was, you know, you get people's egos in the way and it's like, look, I want the person that I had that was hungry five years ago. And now you're the person that thinks they're somebody and you're the same old person to me. Probably a combination of that. Um, And then, you know, you just kind of get bored after a while.
1: Well yeah, it was interesting because you know, it seemed when I was young, you didn't have access to all the information we have now. It seemed like every Prince album he had a different, you know, backing band behind it and uh yeah, you know, Sheila E went on to, you know, have somewhat of a, so, a successful solo career. And he also used the the time for a lot of stuff, didn't
0: he? Uh he basically made the time. So okay. everything that the Time did was written by him. And that's that's the part that uh really throws some people... You know, people are Prince fans, casual. They know the hits. If you're one step ahead, you probably know a little bit deeper the hits. When you get one step further, then you start finding out he was writing songs for Shaka Khan and The Time and all these other people that you had no idea that he was writing songs for. Like, what if God... Yeah, right? So, and then she takes shots at him when he died, which is terrible. So, um, he was... I think there's times... If somebody was to go do the research and I haven't done it, especially in the eighties, where he might have had he might have been on the pop chart ten different places in the top one hundred and we didn't even know it.
1: Well, didn't he write Manic Monday for the Bengals? He did. Yeah, I mean, it's just he could write in so many different styles and it just it I don't know. His talent just amazes me and, and I still probably once a month go and watch him, you know, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So he's got he's got Tom Petty, he's got Jeff Lynn, he's got Steve Winwood, he's got uh, oh I forget the guy's name. He's the drummer in the Heartbreakers, and then he's got uh, George Harrison's son and his backing band. I mean, that's a that's a murderer's row of musicians, and then you've got him up there playing the guitar. And by the end, it almost looks like they got lost in the song because they're so just flabbergasted with. What they're seeing, you know, because from what I understand, they did like a run through at practice. And I don't think he necessarily played it with the same intensity that he played it um, uh, on that on the stage that night. But it always just blows my mind. I mean, Tom Petty is one of my favorite musicians of all time. And at some point he's just staring at him like, how's he able to do this?
0: Yeah, I think part of that is that whole chip on his shoulder. He was always out. And maybe that was different than Michael, too. Uh, with Michael, it seemed like okay. There's talent there. Um, he's being managed well. Uh, he's obviously executing flawlessly. With Prince, it always seemed like okay. Who's this guy? He's a little bit different. We don't can't really figure this dude out. And you know, he was a he was a short guy. He was a basketball player, and they didn't you know give him his just due when he was a basketball player in high school. So there's always that chip on his shoulder. I think what happened at the Hall of Fame. Is they practice like they practice. They get on stage and everybody's doing the little golf clap, and Prince is like standing in the corner going, "Oh no, this this is not going to work. These people are going to know what I can do." And then, just like he does live, he just goes into it and say, "All right, good luck keeping up." Yeah, you know, and it wasn't
1: in a it wasn't in like a disrespectful way. Um, it was. It was just—I don't know—it was amazing. It's one of my favorite favorite musical moments. That, and I also wind up going back. And I don't know if you've ever seen it when um, uh, Hart played Led Zeppelin "Stairway to Heaven" at the Kennedy Center Honors. Have you ever seen that?
0: Uh, no, I haven't seen
1: that. All right, you need to go watch that one. So Hart plays the Kennedy Center Honors, and you know Plant, Page, and John Paul Jones are all up there, and Jason Bonham is on drums, and Hart basically plays it. And at the end, they bring out a gospel choir, and Robert Plant is so- is crying. Uh, when when he heard it, and those that that and and the Prince thing are two of my favorite, you know, like YouTube videos to go watch. So, all right, Sonny. So we talked back and forth uh, how we were going to do this, and um, uh, initially I had said let's do our top five, but uh, as I started trying to do that, I was like, hmm, can't do five. Prince famously had a song called Seven, so let's do let's do our top seven Prince songs. So you're the guest. I'm going to let you go first, and why don't you tell everybody how many songs you had to call through before you could come up with seven? Because it was it was pretty amazing when you sent me that text the other day.
0: Yeah, I have twenty eight hundred and fifty songs on uh, print songs on my uh, iTunes library, and it's about probably six to eight hundred songs, but different versions. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not much of a bootleg collector, uh, even of my favorite bands like Iron Maiden or or, print, or um, Kiss, or Hall & Oates, or any of those guys. I didn't collect many boot, bootlegs. But for some reason with Prince, I wanted to get my hands on absolute everything I would get my hands on. Some of this stuff, I don't even know where I got it. I don't remember. It was uh, the early days of eBay where it wasn't quite sanctioned and everybody was selling everything. So um, just over the years... Uh, I've got so much print stuff. It is, uh, yeah, uh, borderline ridiculous.
1: Well, let me ask you this. Do you have that, uh, that black album? You know what I'm talking uh, about? Yes, sir. Is it as good as people say it is, or is it just one of those things you can't get your hands on it? So everybody says it's awesome. Uh, that's uh, it's the second. Okay. <laughs> it's good, but, uh, and he, you know, and he, there's, and he reportedly didn't want to release it cause he thought it was cursed. Is that right?
0: Uh, I, I don't know. You know, you hear different stories about it. Uh, I've heard that story. I've also heard that, you know, he didn't think it was good enough and he put it on the shelf. I've also heard that uh, he was pissed off at the distributor, so it was uh, almost like punishing them. I've heard all kinds of stories.
1: All right. So, Sonny, we got seven songs each. Uh, we'll let you start Let you start the countdown with uh, song number seven.
0: All right. So, song number seven for me is uh, off of an album called 3121. 31st studio album came out in 2006 and the song's called Lolita and uh, Lolita is uh, the second song on the album but my opinion is one of the best but it was not one of the four singles the four singles were actually Te Amo Corazón Beautiful, Loved, Blessed uh, Black Sweat and Fury Um, this was kind of his comeback so it was the first Prince album that ever debuted at number one and it was the first uh, Prince album that he had to go to number one since Batman in 89. And it knocked out High high School Musical, (laughs) the soundtrack. Which was huge at the time. Yeah, which was huge. Um, What's interesting about this song, so I don't know if you remember this, but there was uh, on the uh, fifth season, the finale of American Idol, there was rumors that Prince was going to be the last act. And Ryan Seacrest uh, was at the end there's probably about six or seven minutes left in the show. They're about to announce the winner. And Ryan's like uh, almost stalling on TV. And he was about to announce the winner. And then in the background, the music starts. And Prince did Lolita and he did Satisfied, which is uh, both. they're both off 3121. And then after the show, here's what Ryan Seacrest said in a quote. Prince pulled up in a limo out back, came through the back door, gave his music to the sound engineer, did his two songs, walked off stage, right out the back door, and split without saying a word. He was that powerful. Um, and he had two ladies dancers with him. And supposedly, he didn't say boo to anybody the entire five minutes he was in the building. I mean, there's very few people who can get away with that. And he's one of the he's one of the handful of people that
1: can get away with it. <laughs> All right so yeah, so you're talking about this being his comeback album and uh I'd have to agree with you for um I guess from probably like 90 1990 on for a while I didn't really listen to Prince and I, I remember uh it was about the time I got married so it was about six six and a half years ago I was like uh, you know I need I need to check Prince out and then about the so that would have been in 2012. Was about that time there was just kind of this flurry of albums from him. It's like Planet Earth, and uh, you had Lotus Flower, and you know the thirty one twenty one, and uh, what was it like Minneapolis Sound? And I bought like all four of them uh, on Amazon the same day. And uh, I have to agree with you. Lolita's is a great song, and it's it's very catchy, and it's it's Prince at his best with his kind of like tongue in cheek lyrics at times. And he's one of the few people I think that can do it and it doesn't come across as being cheesy, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to love the first verse. So it goes, You're a VIP, at least to me. Come here and show me some ID. I know you're fine from head to bumps. If you were mine, we'd bump, bump, bump. Like, you know, it's just kind of fun. And the whole song's about this, uh, this Lolita that's trying to seduce him, but he's hooked up with another woman. So no matter how you look, I'm not hooking up with you tonight, but if you want to dance, we can go ahead and dance.
1: Yeah, great. Like I said, it's a great song. If if somebody else wrote those lyrics, somebody might kind of, you know, kind of roll their eyes at them, but with Prince, you don't do that, (laughs) you know? Yeah, that's right. All right, so my number seven song, and like I said, I had a hard time, I had a hard time doing this because you just, the guy's catalog was just so immense, but I'm going to go with the song Bat Dance off the first Batman movie, the Michael Keaton movie that came out. And uh, so I was probably like 13 or 14 years old when, when this came out. And I remember it was a big deal because normally, you know, music soundtracks, you know, at that time, always had to have like Kenny Loggins on there, you know, and it was always like a, uh, you know, a whole group of musicians. I never heard of one person doing a, a movie soundtrack. And I went to see... Uh, the Batman movie, and uh, of course, at the same time, "Batdance" came out. And if you listen to it now, I mean, it, it kind of sounds kind of dated. And I know he's caught some caught some crap for for putting it out, but at the time, it was kind of cutting edge, uh, you know, with the sampling and, and things like that in it. And it's just to me, it's got a it's got a fun groove to it. Um, like I said, I know some people like to give him a hard time for that, but. You know, and it's not necessarily. Uh, it's more of a you know a dance song, and it's not a lot of rock in it. But uh, it's one that uh, that I do listen to occasionally. And uh, I was like, "There's no way I can do this without at least mentioning this," because I feel like I'm one of the few people that actually like the song.
0: It's a great song, uh, but you're right. That album, it did not. Age well. Um, I love, first of all, I love Michael Keaton as Batman. He's, he's and Jack Nicholson as a Joker. Uh, if it wasn't for Ledger, Jack Nicholson still my favorite Joker. Um, but the movie, uh, I thought what it did a good job of, though, is the music didn't distract you from what was going on in the movie, which was kind of cool because right. sometimes it can be distracting. But when you listen to the album without the movie, it's not the greatest album on the planet.
1: No, it's not. And I mean, I mean, honestly, outside of that song, I probably couldn't tell you anything else was on it. I just was listening to it the other day. I just get a kick out, you know. It's like Vicky Vale, Vicky Vale. <laughs> you know, it has these cool little samples dropped in it. But uh, yeah, I, I liked the, the movie too. But uh, I prefer the the Christian Bale ones. But when that movie came out, it was huge. And I remember I was on a church youth trip to Panama City Beach. And it had started raining or something, and we didn't have anything to do, and so a bunch of us went and saw that at the theater. And uh, uh, it's still a good movie, uh, but uh, it was for the time it was very unheard of to have an artist do an entire soundtrack. Uh, You know, because at that time you had, you know, soundtracks were so big. You had things like remember the Last Action Hero soundtrack. That was awesome. It had you know, uh, Alice in Chains and ACDC on it, and of course, you know, you had like the Footloose soundtrack and the Top Gun soundtrack, which usually had a mix of older artists and newer artists. But, yeah, I, I st- do you know how he wound up getting that gig? Or uh,
0: I do know it was last minute because there was, um, and I'm going to talk about one of the songs later, but there were songs that he was going to give to the movie. And then when he got signed on to do uh, the total soundtrack, he pulled some of those songs back. And wrote the other songs so uh, i don't think it was always the plan but i don't remember how we got the movie my guess is it was probably it was it a warner brothers movie it was it was yeah so that probably was a connection and i'm sure he was well compensated for it uh um, you would think so
1: because at that time you know he was at the peak of his powers all right sonny what's your number six
0: song all right so my number six uh comes from his 36 studio album plectrum electrum and uh, this is the only album that had Third Eye Girl as, as his backing band. Um, it's the last song of the album. It's Amazing Live, and it's called Funk and Roll. And it was not one of the three singles. The three singles were actually Fix Your Life Up, Pretzel Body Magic, and White Caps. At the beginning of the song, it kind of sounds like there's a party. It's got this kind of 70s funk feel. Um, and then the whole song is basically about it's time to party no matter what your financial status is and the vocal phrasing is very interesting because he has about 20 different voices he uses in his music like you can't ever tell which vocal guy is going to come out and this one he's almost sounds like a little kid when he's singing um which is awesome and only prince could pull off 30 seconds of i don't really care what y'all be doing i don't really care what y'all be doing like he's the only one that could pull that off yeah,
1: you're right. I never even thought about that with all the voices. It's kind of like Axl Rose. You know, if you listen to like that uh, Chinese Democracy album, there's like six or seven different Axl Rose voices uh, that you hear on that. Uh, this was a song, honestly, I had never heard until you sent me your list. And uh, this weekend, I went for a walk around the neighborhood and uh, made a playlist of, um, uh, of songs that you were going to talk about. And this one, this one, and one more were probably the the most pleasant surprises uh, on there for me. Oh, you hadn't heard that song before? I hadn't. Uh-uh. No, like wow. I, like I said, I bought like Planet Earth, thirty one twenty one, Lotus Flower, and like Minneapolis Sound, and then um, just for whatever reason, kind of got off my my Prince kick, and so those last few albums that he did, I never really got into. Uh, but uh, I I knew this was with that all-female backing band. Yeah, you're right. It's a very fun song. And uh, like I said, it it was, it was, it was one I'll have to add to the mix now that I'd
0: never heard. Yeah. And like I said, it was amazing live. So I've seen Prince live uh, four times. And the last time was in April of 2013. Me and my best friend went, he played a club called the DNA lounge in San Francisco. It, fit 800 people that day he played two nights in a row two shows each night 800 people people 250 bucks a ticket standing room only you could only buy water he sold no merchandise no drinks um it was just him and third eye girl that's it no mixing board his mixing board was on the side he was mixing himself and the place was so packed i remember i remember looking at my friend tony and like hey move over cuz i like i couldn't move <laughs> And uh, and I had, a, like, an itch on my forehead, and I'm like, i got to get my arm up to, like, itch my forehead. And he's like, move where? Right? So finally, like, there's this gap in the crowd, so I picked my arm up to scratch my head, and then I couldn't put my arm back down because it all sucked back in. <laughs> so I had my arm, like, up the entire night. It was crazy. That was one of the best shows I've ever seen.
1: Oh, that sounds, I can't, I cannot stand being in those kind of situations like that. And especially, <laughs> especially knowing like, Hey, it's probably gonna be like a two hour concert and I'm going to be able to move for two. Hours. Like I I go into like, I go into like semi panic mode, you know, like I I got to get to the back. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's cool though. Being able to say, being able to say you saw Prince in front of 850 people, I, that's, uh, that may have been one worth, uh, may have had to take some Xanax and have a drink or two to get through that, that one, but that would definitely would have been uh, a fun one. All right, so I, I'm while we're both talking about later albums, I, my next two, I'll go with my, fir- my first one off of uh, Lotus Flower, which was one of his later albums. It's actually a cover of the uh, song Crimson and Clover, and Prince just plays this perfectly and then has like a short interlude or tease in the middle where he do- goes into Wild Thing and then back into Crimson and Clover. And I remember when I heard it the first time, I was like, oh, man, this is so clever. And... Uh, so that one immediately went into uh went into the rotation off of uh lotus flower and i don't think prince did a ton of recorded um covers i I know like in concert sometimes he would do things like on halftime he did foo fighters best of you but uh crimson and clover with wild thing uh is just fun and he just puts his spin on it and it sounds like prince but it still sounds great
0: yeah, he didn't do a lot of recorded covers. Um, I do like that cover. I think Lotus Flower wasn't that like a Target exclusive. Uh, I'm not sure. I got it yeah, on Amazon. I think Amazon. it might have been. Um, oh, it might have been a Target exclusive when it first came out. But uh, yeah, I wish he would have recorded an all covers album. That would have been awesome. Oh yeah, I mean, can you imagine
1: it? And can you imagine how eclectic it would be? Oh yeah, definitely. Like, like yeah, you... And it would
0: have had a lot of '70s funk in it, though.
1: Oh yeah, I would love to hear him hit some of that. Uh, some of that Sly in the Family Stone stuff. Um, you know, I think he would have uh, nailed it.
0: All right, Mr. Pooney, what's your number five? All right. So my number five, um, it's amazing that it ever got played on the radio. And uh, it's a song called Erotic City. And it was from the Purple Rain uh, time frame, And it didn't make the album cut. I have no idea why. Uh, personally, I would have cut com- Computer Blue out and put Erotic City in. Uh, but, there is several instances in the song where some people believe he was using the F word. Some people believe he was saying funk. Uh-huh. Sheila E. continues to say the word was funk. And that's why it got played on the radio so much. And Sheila E. was the one that was doing the chorus. So I guess you would know. Um, but it played on the radio from the 80s to the 90s. And man, this is the dance track of dance tracks. If uh, I sent you a message, I'm like, if you're not dancing when you're listening to Erotic City, there's something wrong with you. Were you dancing? Well, I was walking, but I,
1: I, I had a little bit of a jive going. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> hey, let, let me let me ask you about that. The, the him with the F word. Uh, do you know who Van Jones is? Yeah. All right, you know Van Jones and him were really good friends, and I remember him talking about when Prince died, that Prince did
0: not allow swearing
1: inside of Paisley park. Have you heard that? Yeah. So
0: as he got older, so I would say it turned like in the mid nineties, somewhere around there where he didn't really want any cursing around him. But then I would hear interviews where he would curse. Right. He still released music that had cursing in it. So he didn't stop that. Um, so I don't know. It was a little odd though.
1: Yeah. I, I that's something I've I had on my list. I wanted to ask you because, uh, I'd heard that, but then I was like, it doesn't add up, you know, and especially with the content of some of his music, um, (coughs) it didn't add up. All right, Sonny, we're going to stick with, for me, we're going to stick with Lotus Flower, a song called Colonized Mind. Um, This one is a very political, social commentary, um, but it sounds great. And Prince basically in the background of the whole song plays a guitar solo um, that really stood out to me when I listened to Lotus flower the first time. Um, you know, he, he, didn't always, you know, he didn't shy away from, from politics or, or social issues. And this one is, is very much, uh, in your, in your face. But, um, like I said, I thought it was one of the standout tracks on that album. Uh, and I do have it in my regular Prince rotation when I have like a Prince, um, uh, playlist that I go to, but, uh, Uh, I just, I love the song, and um, I just thought it was, I thought it was a great statement he was making, and, you know, with what he was saying, and then just his playing on the song, and, you know, it's got a little bit of everything, it's got the guitar playing, it's kind of got the slow funk to it, but um, were you, was was this a song that you were familiar with, or?
0: Uh, Yeah, so, and and that whole, you know, kind of playing a guitar solo through the whole background, or... Like, even in a rock, Erotic City, about two minutes, about two to three minutes in, you start hearing this, like, computer voice singing along with the backing vocals. Like, I think he liked putting all these earworms into the recordings, because I will honestly tell you that after being a fan for, how many years is it, 35 years now, when I listen to these songs, I still hear stuff go, what is that? I've never heard that before, and it's the same song I've always been listening to. The other thing about this political piece and the social piece that he talks about, I always love the way that it was, he didn't really say where he stood, but he would always kind of denounce, like, stop being negative. Let's stop hurting people. We don't need war. Let's love. Let's party. Let's, you know, do that kind of stuff. But he wasn't doing the Ted Nugent. You know, you're not a man if you're not on this side, or right. he wasn't that kind of person.
1: Well, I've heard Van, I'm a big Van Jones fan, and I've heard Van Jones say that Prince gave to a lot of social causes and gave to a lot of political candidates, but he did it in a way to where it was anonymous.
0: And yeah, and I've heard him say, like, he'd come to Oakland, let's say, and he'd play those shows that I was talking about in San Francisco, and then just. Hey Van, uh, I'm going to send you a two hundred fifty thousand dollars check. Keep my name out of it, and make sure these people get it.
1: Yeah. So I mean, um, I like that. I mean, I you know everything is so political now. At some point, like you just like I, you got to have a break from it, you know. And yeah. and you know, I mean, so many musicians. I mean, it's their right to do what they want to. I, I'm not saying that, but it's just so over the top, and you just get beat over the head with it now. Uh, it's nice to see that you had somebody like him that did it in a way that made you show he really believed in what he did because he's doing it anonymously. didn't want any credit for it. All right, Sonny. So I did colonize mind off Lotus flower. What is, what is your next song?
0: All right. So my number four is, uh, off the 32nd studio album, planet earth. And it's a song called guitar. And this in, Prince's World is a pretty basic song. It's got a cool guitar riff. Um, It's definitely more rock. It's got a great uh, guitar solo and an outro solo, pans at the end a little bit just to mess with you a little bit. And uh, the basic song is just about, you know, I love you and I'm hanging around you and I like being at the club with you. But, you know, if my guitar calls, I got to go because that's what I really love, right? And uh, it's so funny. Like, You know, the lyrics, you know, I love you, baby, but not like I love my guitar. And even in the last chorus, he goes, I love you, baby. You know, the rest, you know, that kind of thing. It's just always so fun.
1: Oh, man, this is such a good song. This was the other one that I that that I wasn't that familiar with that blew me away. It's a fun song. And it's kind of like we've said earlier, the lyrics, That's not, you know, those aren't Bob Dylan lyrics. You know, it's nothing really serious. But he sings them, and you don't come away going, "Oh, that's that's cheesy." Uh, no, this Prince man it sounds awesome. I like what he's doing, uh, and like you said, this was kind of one of the songs off one of his later albums that was obviously, if the song called guitar, it better be guitar oriented. Uh, I loved it. Like I said. Uh, uh that That one was one of the ones that realized, oh, this is really good i've never heard this one uh, did he did he play you know, I know his touring got sporadic at the end. Did, you know if this is a song you ever played like in one of his shows, or was it just one that never got played
0: uh he played it once in a while. I think he might have played it at the club date that I saw because that was that club date was pretty guitar oriented um and then the other thing you know he's there's all kinds of data you can go go down that rabbit hole, if you want, about him against the record companies, and uh, this one was actually released on his label, it was going to be distributed by his label, and then in the United Kingdom, he ended up giving it away free with a Sunday paper, the whole CD. So, you know, then the distributors get mad at him, and I think he was just a believer that, I'm the one creating this stuff, shouldn't I get to put it out how I want to? Well, let's let's
1: take a little detour, since you brought up... (coughs) The record uh, company stuff. What was your opinion of his music when he went by the symbol? I uh,
0: likes I like, I like uh, almost all of it. There was uh, there was some stuff that got a little too experimental. Um, he did a lot of rapping, right? Mm-hmm. So it was it became more pop hip hop rap, and I don't actually mind that, especially since it was the nineties. Um, but you know, it's just like anything else; it's your parents telling you. Um, from you know age 2 to age 18, that you can only have three Oreos at dinner. And then the first day you move out and you live by yourself, you eat the whole Oreos bag with a, two glasses of milk.
1: And then you get sick and realize why they told you to only eat three. That's kind of <laughs> how it goes. <laughs> All right, so my next song is going to be off Sign of the Times, and it's the song, I Can Never Take the Place of Your Man. Uh, I think this is just a great pop song off an album that's kind of known more for being a, a, a funk album. I think it was a double disc, actually, at the time. Uh, this is a song that came on my radar much later after it came out. Like I said, I, I was... When Purple Rain came out, I was like eight or nine. <clears throat> I instantly liked it, but... Um, uh, this one, um, I love, and I, I feel like it doesn't get the the just due that it that it deserves because it's a straight-ahead pop song, Uh, But it's just very catchy and very upbeat, and uh, just another one of his that's just a lot of fun to listen to.
0: Yeah, that song, I'm surprised it was not his biggest hit, because it was the most pop that he really got. Because if you think about even Purple Rain or When Doves Cry or 1999 or Little Red Corvette, there's some funk and soul in those songs. But uh, this one, I was surprised. I figured it'd go to number one. I don't think it went number one, though.
1: I don't. I don't think it did either. That and that album kind of underperformed versus kind of the high regard people hold it in, right?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's it was after parade, I think. Right? It was a sign of times after parade or before parade. Now I can't remember. But nothing was going to be Purple Rain two, and I think you know by that time everybody's looking for Purple Rain two. He had a couple of movies that didn't do too well after Purple Rain. And, uh, you know, the music, um, he probably didn't want to repeat stuff he was doing, but uh, he could have and probably made a ton of money, but he just didn't want to keep doing the same thing over and over.
1: But this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this album's kind of held in pretty high regard amongst Prince fans, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. All right, Sonny, what's your next one?
0: All right, so... My third, my number three, this is the one that nobody's going to know, and man, do I love this song. I don't understand why nobody knows it. So it's a song called Illusion, Coma, Pimp, and Circumstance. It's from 2004's Musicology, which is his 28th studio album. Um, this song, now, Musicology, Call My Name, and Cinnamon Girl were the singles. Uh, this was not one of the singles. But the song is about courting basically a sugar mama who is who she's white, she's old, and she's rich. But the song is about who's really using who because the guy's getting involved and he's getting everything he wants out of it, right? So, like, the first verse goes, She knew which fork to use, but she couldn't dance. So she hipped up her oh, wait, she hipped her to the funk in exchange for the finance. Who's pimping who? Nobody gets a second chance. This is the story of Illusia, coma, pimp, and circumstance. And it's got a kind of like fuzz vocal in production, which is done to kind of, you know, uh, put this ambience out there of, of that funk soul. And then he goes through like six different kinds of vocal types through the song, which is just amazing. Man, this song, it makes me move, and I am not a dancer.
1: <laughs> I think this is, I think this was one of his better later albums, to be honest with you. Um, if Cinnamon Girl was my number eight, had we done a number eight, it was going to be Cinnamon Girl. Um, love that song. But yeah, uh, this is, this is another good one um, that I really honestly didn't pay a whole lot of attention to, other than like you know when I would listen to this album, I would I would you know I wouldn't skip over it, but uh, yeah, if it, it it definitely makes you want to dance, and uh, Prince had that ability to. Uh, it's it's kind of like Tom Petty, you know, when Tom Petty died, that there's like nobody. Nobody came out, everybody would say, like, I've never heard of anybody that doesn't like Tom Petty. Prince is the same way, and this is a great example of just kind of like this appeal that he can have. And you just you listen to his music, whether it's even serious or not, it just makes you feel good and does make you want to dance. And if something can make me want to dance, that's a powerful, powerful statement because this body was not made to
0: move. Uh, <laughs> I got a body that's if it moves, it it takes a while before it stops moving. Right, like it, I stop moving, but the body's still moving. <laughs> and, it, and and then
1: we have to take something the next morning, uh, you know, because we we've uh, we've uh, thrown something out. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's a a great one. So my number three is one of his heavy hitters. It's off one of my favorite albums of all time, Purple Rain. It's going to be Let's Go Crazy this is when this is i feel like when prince said all right boys i'm about to show y'all how i can play the guitar just kills it uh the intro to me is one of them and out of this word gets thrown out so much on podcasts so i'm trying not to use it but iconic intros of any song you instantly know what's coming you know when, when you when you hear the 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 opening to this song and um uh, the video was all over the place, and that's when Prince just was really coming into his own with the Purple Rain album, and I don't know if you've seen it. I think it was it was after he died, and I think it was the Grammys. Did you see Bruno
0: Mars play this song? Yeah, I did. Now, uh, so here's my opinion on it. Um, uh-huh. Bruno did great. He did an outstanding job except for the guitar playing. he should have let somebody else play the guitar because a prince nerd like me knows every note and he wasn't even close
1: <laughs> see i actually i actually thought I actually thought the guitar solo was i think it was great that he even attempted that because I mean because he's not as far as I know not known for being a guitar player,
0: but uh mm. hey, yeah, yeah but if you're going to take a solo like that you gotta you gotta nail it but you know i'm I, that's coming from a prince nerd oh, I mean, most I mean, fans I mean, would have known.
1: Oh, I completely, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would say probably his behind, off that album, obviously behind Purple Rain and When the Doves Cry, that was the, the biggest song. And it was the opening song on the album too, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And there's a rumor that it was a live recording. And uh, even uh, Fink, who's the keyboard player, has said that whole dissertation at the beginning was off the cuff. He had never heard it before. He didn't even know where it came from.
1: All right, so I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring that up to you. I've heard that a lot of the songs on Purple Rain were actually recorded live in like a bar.
0: Uh, yeah, and then he went in and did overdubs uh, in the studio. Well, i tell you what. Uh, definitely, definitely a fun
1: one. Uh, and it's if on any 80, 1980s playlist. You go to an 80s party or something like that, 80s playlist, if this song's not on it, then it's not. A, it's not a list worthy of listening to. Uh, greed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sonny. Let's see. That would be my number three. What's your number two?
0: All right. So my number two is from the same period. It's from uh, it's from the Purple Rain period. It was on Purple Rain. Baby, I'm a star. Same deal. Recorded in a live performance in '83. It was a debut of when Wendy joined the band, and then he goes into the studio and just uh, added some overdubs. You know, songs about you know this up, uh, upbeat song about pop stardom. What I love about Prince also is it's what he's writing is poetry lyric wise it this is not you know this is not uh, uh, any kind of literally uh, literal masterpiece you know if, if you think of lyrics like um, you might not uh, might not know it now baby Yes, I are, I'm a star you know yes I are that's not even grammatically correct, but right. it sounds so good when it's <laughs> kind of kind of rhymed and then. The lyrics, when you read them, it's like, man, I could have wrote this. It says, uh, you know, hey, look me over. Tell me, do you like what you see? I ain't got no money, but I'm rich on personality. Later on, he says, hey, take a listen. Tell me what you uh, – uh, tell me, do you like what you hear? If it don't turn you on, just say the word, I'm gone. I know ain't nothing wrong with your ears, right? Like that's just like I wouldn't be having a conversation with somebody.
1: Yeah, and you're right. It's a great song. and I almost feel like on that album – I know you said you don't like Computer Blue. I actually like Computer Blue. Um, I feel like every song on that album had the potential to be a single had they wanted to go that route.
0: Oh, I totally agree. And then, you know, you, knowing that he cut Erotic City, that means he had probably three or four other songs that we maybe don't know about right now. Was it during, that, Was it during this
1: period that Moonbeam Levels was recorded?
0: Yeah, it was close,
1: yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a great song. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that that album, man, is just straight heat from top to bottom. And, you know, I always heard that um, Mutt Lang, when they were recording uh, Hysteria, he tried to get them to record it with the mindset that every song could be a single. And kind of like Michael Jackson did with Thriller. And you, you would have to throw Purple Rain in that group of every song was single worthy, which, you know, that's... That's bold because, I mean, even some of the greatest albums of all time, I don't, I, I feel like have filler. And I just feel like there was zero filler on this one.
0: Yeah. And it's not that I don't like Computer Blue, I just like Ele- Erotic City a lot more. Um, and then Baby I'm a Star was a song I was talking about. So it was supposed to be in Batman. It was supposed to be used when the Joker has the parade. But then when Prince agreed to do the soundtrack, he replaced that with 200 balloons. So, two hundred balloons is actually not even on the album. It's a B side. Really? Um, at least I don't think it's on the album, but I know it's on the B side of "Bad Dance."
1: I feel like "Baby, I'm a Star." I feel like it should be covered a lot.
0: Um, I've heard. I think I've heard one person do it, but I can't remember who it was. Prince songs don't get covered that much, and I will be honest: I've not heard. I've heard maybe three or four, and none of them were any good.
1: All right. Well. All right. So. All right. So let me ask you this. Do you consider Sinead O'Connor's song? Do you consider that her cur- cover covering Prince or singing a song that he wrote?
0: I consider that her singing a song he wrote, just like Manic Monday is a bangle song. Okay. Um, but then when I hear Prince do it, because I've I've got versions of him doing it, um, What If God was one of us, Sinead probably did better. Manic Monday, Prince did better. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I've the Prince never, version's pretty good. I've
1: never heard the Prince version of Manic Monday. I'm going to I'm gonna have to search that out on YouTube or something. And, and yeah, give I'm it sure
0: it. it's out there somewhere.
1: Yeah, Baby I'm a Star is one of those ones when I listen to Purple Rain that I kind of always in the back of my head have forgotten that it's on there. And then when I hear it, I'm like, oh, this is really good, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, whew, man, what an album. All right, <laughs> so song number two for me is off the album Around the World and Day, and that's going to be Raspberry Beret. And if there's any song Prince has ever written that makes me feel good and smile and just feel like everything's all right with the world, it's Raspberry Beret. Uh, I remember when this came out, uh, it was all over the radio, and I don't think this was directly – was this the first album after Purple Rain?
0: Yeah, it was the first single after Pal- Purple Rain, okay. too, I think. Okay,
1: all right. So I remember there was there was this buildup, you know, because – He had just released, you know, one of the landmark albums of of all time, really. And what was, you know, the next follow-up going to be? And uh, I have read that a lot of people don't like that album, but this song is amazing. And if it was not my love for number one, this would be my favorite Prince song uh, of of all time. And uh, I listen to it a lot. It just has a great feel to it. Now, he had a different power, a different backing band for this one, right?
0: Yeah, I... I wonder if, uh, no, I think uh, The Revolution is still there. Still with time them? Time. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Now, you didn't mind that the Raspberry Beret was from a secondhand store? You were cool with that? Man, I'm I'm good with it. I'm good with it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just a fun song. It is totally a fun song. And can you imagine that you are one of the biggest uh, artists on the planet right now? You just released the mo- you know, one of the most iconic albums uh, in history, and a movie that's going to be a cult classic for the rest of its being, and then you go to the record company and you're going to write a s- tell them you're going to write a song about a beret that you bought as a secondhand store. I can only imagine the looks of record producers.
1: Well, at that point, he'd earned a lot of capital.
0: That's true. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, he- and he, you know. But if they, I mean, yeah, if he told them before before, I'm going to write a song about a Raspberry Beret, I'm sure they looked at him like he had three heads. But then when he played it for them, they had to have been like, oh, this is gold. It's gold, Jerry.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, It's gold,
1: Jerry. It's it's gold, gold, Jerry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, boy, just uh, one that brings a smile to my face. So drum
0: roll for Mr. Pooney here. We have come to your number one. Why don't you tell everybody what it is? All right, so my number one is a song called Get Off. Now, I won't share all the lyrics because we're going to try to keep this PG. But, uh, you know, there's <laughs> there's a part of the song that says, One, two, three, no little cutie, I ain't drinking. Scope this, I was just thinking. You plus me, what a ride. If you was thinking the same, we could continue outside. Lay your pretty body against a parking meter Strip you down, dress down like I was stripping a Peter's Paul Almond Joy. Let me show you, baby, I'm a talented boy. Like, (laughs) there's this song. The video is about two girls going into an audition that is very, very interesting. There's a lot going on in the video. The song gives a nod to the past, talking about James Brown. It's got pop sensibility, it's got funk, it's got rap, it's got samples. Uh, guitar solo after the flute. There's a flute in the solo. It's just so weird. Eric Leeds playing the flute. Um, the, the whole thing is just incredible. And the song is really surrounded around. There's nothing wrong with being, uh, with liking a girl that might be of thicker proportions, which I ain't got no problem with that. I've, I've been there. Um, but, uh, it, and it's interesting because the video has no ladies of thicker proportion except for Rosie Gaines was doing part of the vocal. Everybody else is as fit as can be. So very, very interesting song, but is by far my favorite print song.
1: And was everywhere when it came out.
0: Oh, on Diamond and Pearls. Oh, yeah, it came out in 91. It was all over the place.
1: Yeah, I, I started college in 94, and at our fraternity house, we would have sometimes have these late-night parties, and uh, we had this – downstairs area that we called the cave and we had a guy that lived in our fraternity house that had a professional dj uh set up and so i bet i have heard this song at three or four in the morning a million times if i've heard it once and uh whenever that's what i immediately think of whenever i hear this song but uh man it was everywhere and like it was everywhere for a long time this wasn't like you know the song of the summer and it went away and i almost feel like it's one of those songs that's that's built in popularity as as the years have gone on especially like when he released those the hits 1 and the hits 2 albums uh I, I feel like a lot of awareness for that song really came out from when he released those albums but uh yeah, and inf- an an infectious song to hear you can't get it out of your head and uh a uh,
0: great pick i can't argue with that pick whatsoever yeah, and whether you want to call it lucky or on purpose, think about it, it's 91, he's got pop in it, he's got rap in it, he's got funk in it, he's got guitar solo in it, He's there's hair metal, there's top 40, there's the stuff that's coming up, there's, you know, so the hip-hop and rap thing that was getting big. Is that all on purpose or is that lucky? Because I think he connected everybody.
1: Let's just say it's probably a good bit uh, a a piece of both of those things uh <laughs> but with prince i don't know if there's anything called luck because i mean he's just so uh so talented yeah i so saw i i that was one that was in my in my running I mean, how could it how could it not be but my favorite Prince song of all time and i i was somebody at work i was telling them about this podcast and they were like what what do you what do you think's the two like they said david what are you what she thinks the best song ever written and I said, uh, I love hearing Amazing Grace, and I love hearing Prince Purple Rain. And this song is one of the reasons I love music. Uh, it's just, it just is. Uh, it to me, it, it's got, it's just got it. And uh, like I said, I was, I was born in '76, so I guess I would have been about eight when this album came out and saw the video. And then I would stay up at night. I had trouble sleeping as a child and so I would stay up at night and my parents finally just put like a radio in my room and I would listen to the radio at night and of course this is when this was on just heavy rotation and I remember asking for Christmas that year I got a you remember you remember boom boxes right Sonny oh yeah I used to have one yeah so I got a boom box and I asked for Van Halen 1984 the Footloose soundtrack and uh purple rain and i wound up getting the footloose soundtrack and purple rain and my mom went to buy me van halen 1984 and the salesman said it wasn't for an eight-year-old child and so he didn't sell it to my mom but anyway purple rain um I, i just it's the little things in it it's the it's the guitar feedback you know it's um it's how he just how he delivers with so much emotion. And so I've read that the first verse is about his father. The second verse was about a girlfriend. The third verse was about, uh, the country. And I've heard there's a fourth verse that, that may or may not have to do with the
0: economy. Have you heard that? Uh, I've not heard that. I've not heard that quite that way. Yeah. Um, cause you know, in the movie, Wendy and Lisa wrote the song and brought brought it to him. And I think initially, I think it's real that Wendy and Lisa did write the music. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they wrote the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't surprise me that all that's in there. Um, the song, it's one of those songs I hear new things every time I listen. And I, it, you would think that after four hundred times of listening to it, it wouldn't keep happening, but it keeps happening. Well, and it's one of the
1: ones that was recorded live, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think there's a lot more overdubs done on that one, though, because it doesn't feel as live as Let's Go Crazy. Well,
1: it was so cool when he died. Basically, that was the the go-to song everybody did. I mean, I saw everybody covered it, even like Government Mule, who's a jam band, covered it. It, It's a a true crossover song. Regardless of what type of music you like, you're going to like Purple Rain. Uh, I've never met anybody that said, oh, I hate that song, you know? um just man and oh just what an album what an, what an album i can't say enough about it top top five album of all time for me um and uh yeah i i, I talk about this song as a lot on this podcast So i'm sure people are tired of hearing me say it but uh, to me it's just it's one of the greatest pieces of music ever written and it, it's one of the reasons i'm a i'm a fan of music and i, I can't get past that so I, I have to hold it in as high regard as i can
0: yeah, it's a desert island uh, album for me too, uh, no doubt. But let's get back to this cashier that helped your mom. So, this cashier did not know what he was talking about because he handed your mom an album that had Darling Nikki on it, but right. had a problem with Hot for Teacher.
1: Right, and and I, and I and I I'll have to go back. I'm sure she's forgotten about it. But like as a child, <laughs> it like it like I was angry because I was like, Mom, it's the Van Halen. Everybody at school's got it, you know, and. She's like, well, son, it had a picture of a child smoking cigarettes on the front of it, and the and the cashier told me said he just did not think it was for an eight year old boy. Uh yeah, and then then you give me you know a song with um with an album with Darling Nikki on it. So yeah, I I I agree. If I could go find that guy, I would. I'd have a few choice words for him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, oh, and I tell you, I had something else similar happen to that, kind of like that to me. Um, when um, oh, what was it? oh the first the first big bon jovi album slippery when wet, slippery when wet. I remember yeah. we we went on like an overnight uh field trip and i forgot i even forgot where we went we wound up at in like a big shopping mall or whatever and of course you know i go straight to the music st- store like and my mom was like a chaperone on it so we get back and she's like oh what did you buy and i was like oh i bought some you know cassette tapes or whatever and she's like oh let me see and she turned to the back and saw that it had the song "Social Disease" on it, and she thought it was a song about an STD. <laughs> oh man, the struggle was real, Sonny. The struggle was real. And I mean, if you if you're worried about a Bon Jovi CD, a Bon Jovi album, or or a Van Halen album, uh, good luck to you, because there's a whole lot worse things you can listen to. Uh, D- Darling Nikki being one of them. Hey, uh, let me ask you, what do you think about the Foo Fighters cover of Darling Nikki?
0: I thought it was okay. I think that's probably one of the better covers that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, what did Timberlake do? Purple Rain with the with the whole uh, the video and all that at the Super Bowl, right? Timberlake did Prince. Remember, he had kind of like the video playing as he was playing piano. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. And everything yeah.
1: was purple, right?
0: Yeah, you yeah. did okay. I thought yeah. I, if I was Timberlake, I would have done In Sync stuff and left Prince out of it probably. But uh, no, I thought the few fighters did okay with that.
1: So, all right, so let's talk about this real quick. Let's, you, you brought up a halftime show. Uh, best halftime show of all time, I think, was Prince. Uh,
0: no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. And I will tell you a very, very close second was Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars's halftime show was outstanding.
1: Yeah, all right. So I'm 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 gonna say this and, and, and we're Chris and I I think are gonna do a future podcast this on artists that we don't listen to but we respect, and Bruno Mars is number one on my list on that. Uh, I don't really listen to his music, but man, there is no doubt that he is that he is way up there in the upper echelon of talent.
0: Yeah, him and Justin Timberlake right now are the only two guys that have a shot at a prince michael jackson type career long term and they've been around a little while already right but bruno especially because he's got uh he's got the hip-hop flavor that justin has a little bit but justin's a little more pop um bruno seems to uh cover a lot more of the masses and I, his singing ability is unbelievable uh, i i am amazed and 30 years from now, he is going to be sorry the way he's singing because he's not going to be able to hit any of those notes. He's going to have to drop those things about three keys.
1: Oh, I agree. And he's just doing tremendous, tremendous business. He's doing multiple nights in, in cities. Uh, a couple of girls that I work with, I, well, I, can't, I think it was Nashville they drove up to, to see him. And, I mean, it was like Guns N' Roses reunion tour type ticket prices. Um, he, he's He's making a killing. But, man, he – yeah. He's got some James Brown in him, man. He's a hardworking guy, but yeah, that that halftime performance of, of Prince—I mean, it starts raining. You uh, know,
0: perfect, right? I mean, is that lucky or is that on purpose? Like, it, that's just too lucky. It
1: is, you know. And then so he comes out, you know, and, and he's kind of he plays a couple of songs and he launches into this Foo Fighters cover. And I've read that like Dave Grohl had no idea that was going to happen, and he's watching the Super Bowl, and then he just his mouth is on the floor and he's like prince is covering me prince is covering me what is going on here you know and i mean he nailed it and then you know went to purple rain and he's like let me play this guitar for you and it just starts raining and you know he kind of has a little bit of reputation of being kind of a diva and i don't think he's necessarily a diva he's just eclectic and i don't think a lot of the weirdness that he that he displayed was for show i think that was just his personality and I read an interview with the producer of the segment and said they were really worried when it stopped, started raining, would he just quit and walk off stage? And man, he did the complete opposite of it. He turned it into just one of the greatest visual audio visual spectacles I've ever seen. Uh, you know, playing that he had the guitar it was made like the cymbal, And, you know, I loved like the tone he had with it. He had, he had the reverb and everything cranked up on it. You could hear every little move, every, every little move he made up down the fret And, uh, Oh man, Uh, just uh, it's just a shame we won't get any more of that, Sonny.
0: Yeah, it is, and you know I've I've got some videos, thank God, because he uh, he released some, and some you can find in bootlegs. But uh, I've never seen him be a diva on stage to where you know the monitor didn't work, so he walks off, or everything is done on purpose, everything is professional. Uh, He just goes with the flow. Um, but like I said, in that club, he was mixing his own stuff. Like he hits a guitar, the guitar solo was off a little bit. He goes back to the mixing board and say, I didn't even mix myself right. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so it's just always fun. Like if you don't really know the guy, you probably want to go to YouTube and watch like some of the Arsenio stuff. He hosted Arsenio show Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. It was a great hour. It was awesome. Well, where do you... All right, I, I know as far as personal
1: preference, you have him at number one. But if you had to take, if you had to step back and be objective about it, where, where from artists that came out from nineteen, let's say nineteen seventy five on, where where does he where does he fall, if you're being objective about it and not through, you know, fan lenses.
0: Yeah, I you know you probably have to put Michael Jackson at the top of that list. Um, Michael was doing things that, uh, nobody was doing, uh, and it was more appealing to the masses. I would say, uh, the musicianship was great, but you knew he wasn't the one doing the musicianship, but it was still great. Um, I would say, Madonna was pretty damn big. God, it's hard. It's hard Mm -hmm. to not say Madonna in that list, but she didn't really start in the seventies, right? She started really in the eighties. Right. Um, I would say Prince is a solid top five. He would be top for me for sure. Um, he would be probably in the top three for most, but there's no way he's outside the top five. That's not possible.
1: No, if you if you if you say he's out of the top five, then you just it's kind of like the everything you say after that's going to sound like the teacher on Charlie Brown. You know, wah 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 yeah. wah wah wah. wah. Yeah. I, I'm not yeah. listening. Yeah, I I've, he's one of the icons. Him and I mean, especially of American music, you know, we we put these british artists up to so to such high regard you know zeppelin the who the Beatles, and the stones and and of course you know obviously they have their mount rushmore but uh, if you had your mount rushmore of, of american musicians you have to put him on there and like you said his appeal wasn't as broad as michael jackson's was but it was pretty close and you know but it, it, he almost sabotaged himself in the 90s by, by changing his name and, and, and stepping back. And like you said, getting a little more experimental than he was on his earlier stuff. I, I kind of wonder, had, had he stayed you know, with his name, stayed in good graces with the record label, what some of those albums would have sounded like. Because he, he, I don't think he would have had as much of a freedom to do what he did had he you know, was still on the Warner Brothers uh, record label.
0: Yeah, and that's the hard part, right, is that I don't think the music, he wouldn't have been in love with the music, which wouldn't have made the music as good, that's for sure. Um, now, there's a story out there, and I've, I've heard some confirmation of it, because I've heard Prince say some of the story, but I guess on Beat It, it was supposed to be, you know, how the video has like this gang mentality, right? Mm-hmm. And... So they wanted a dual vocal, and it was supposed to be Prince and Michael Jackson doing a dual vocal for Beat It, right? But there's that, that uh, line in there that says, your ass is mine. Mm-hmm. And Prince said in an interview once, he goes, well, you know, these guys came up to me and wanted me to be a part of this song, and they couldn't answer my question. Who's saying, who is singing, your ass is mine? Because I'm not singing that to Michael, and Michael sure the hell ain't <laughs> singing it to me. Right, and then that got him out of the that got him out of the thing. Can you imagine if they would have done that song together? All right, so all right,
1: that was "Beat It," right? Yeah. So in that song, you would have had Michael Jackson, you would have had Prince, you would have had Eddie Van Halen, and Steve Lukather all on the same the same uh, the same
0: song. My guess is you have no Eddie or Steve if Prince is on because Prince would have done those parts.
1: Oh, Prince! Like Prince! Like I can do this in my sleep. You know. That's right. You know, and I've read that like Eddie Van Halen basically got paid like a six pack of beer or something for doing that.
0: I heard he still owed money. I think it was something like he didn't get paid.
1: <laughs> oh man! All right, uh, Sonny, I got I got one final question for you, and I, I'm very interested to hear uh, what you say. Let's go back in time three years. Prince is alive. He's touring. Let's say you're in Wisconsin right now, right? Right. All right. So you're in Wisconsin. <clears throat> On one side, let's say there's two big arenas. On one side of the street, there's Prince. There's the other side of the street. There's Kiss. You can only go to one concert. Which one do you go to?
0: Prince, one hundred percent. No, no hesitation.
1: All right. So that's a pretty bold statement because if you if you if you follow Sonny on um, uh, all of his podcast, uh, his knowledge of Kiss is is way on up there, and his love of Kiss. So uh, I was wondering what it was going to be. I know you told me one time that. You take Richie Kotzen and Jeff Scott Soto and roll them up into one, and you still like Prince better than both of them combined. So uh,
0: that's true. So favorite artist of all time? Is that fair? Favorite artist of all time? There's absolutely no doubt. I am. I am a Prince, Hall and Oates, Kiss, Richie Kotzen, Jeff Scott Soto, Y That's kind of my uh, you know Love Striper, Hailstorm. That's kind of my top eight or ten. But uh, you can't touch Prince. Just just the amount of music that is out there and audio, uh, video too that's out there and some of the best shows I've ever seen were Prince.
1: So how many times did you say you saw him?
0: I saw him four times. So I saw him in 88 at the Oakland Coliseum and it was on Veterans Day and they play, he played sold out nights, back to back nights at the Oakland Coliseum. Then I saw him in 93 back to back nights um, at, uh, he played at San Francisco uh, Civic Auditorium and then I saw him in '98 when he played the Conquer Pavilion, which is right around uh, right around the corner from my, where I used to live. And then I saw him on uh, that night in 2013. So basically, saw him like what every five years, and then there was a 15-year uh, gap in there.
1: You're lucky. I, I had a, I had a couple of chances to go see him and never got to see him. And it's one of those ones that I, I kicked myself uh, over. Well, Sonny, I can't thank you enough for uh, for doing this. I knew you were going to enjoy doing it because it was talking about one of your favorite topics, and uh, I like talking about prints myself. But uh, uh, I love the insight, and, and, I, and I love the passion. I, I, this is one of the things I love about podcasts. I listen to podcasts about artists that I don't really necessarily like, but the people on the podcast love them. And I, I just, I, I don't know, it's something about hearing people talk about something they're passionate about, I, I enjoy and. Uh, I know you love talking about Kiss, and I feel like uh, sometimes you don't get a chance to talk about Prince on on your other podcast the way you would like. So I was like, I'm gonna call him and see if uh, see if he's up for doing another one with us because uh, I'm sure he would love to talk about Prince.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, Stephen's trying to stay in genre, and I can appreciate that. You know, because you don't you don't want to alienate any fans that you have. We did a Prince episode; it was kind of like the heavier side of Prince, right? Um. But, uh, no, and I, I love hearing your guys' podcast because you guys are out there. Like, some of the stuff that you guys talk about, I have no idea what bands Chris is talking about 90% of the time. And then I'll, I'll go listen to it, and it's about 50-50 whether it connects with me or not because he really loves that alternative stuff, and it doesn't always connect with me.
1: Yeah, and he likes a lot of the punk. And, you know, I don't know if you uh, remember well, – <laughs> Uh, we won't go whole lot into what that night of the Rock and Fight Expo because I'll get to laughing and I won't be able to stop. <laughs> but uh, needless to say, uh, one of the uh, it was just a fun night. I uh, just put it, <laughs> yeah, to it that way. But I don't know if you do. You remember the T-shirt he was wearing? No, I don't. All right, so he was wearing a Morrissey T-shirt. Oh, that's right. And that's it said right. Something like if if you eat meat, I'll kill you, or I don't like you, or whatever. And so we were getting ready to go to the expo and I had on like a Chris Robinson sh- uh, shirt or whatever. And, uh, and I was like, really, you're going to wear that to, um, uh, the rock and pod expo. And it's like, you know, it's not going to be a lot of Morrissey fans there. And he's like, that's exactly why I'm wearing it. he said, if I was going to, a, if I was going to like a punk rock, uh, expo, I would walk in there wearing, you know, a Metallica shirt or, you know, s- something just to be completely different. But, I'd be darned if he didn't get about eight or nine compliments on that shirt. People saying they uh, they liked that Morrissey shirt while we were at the expo recording. But uh, yeah, that Chris is Chris is really into some of that punk stuff. I, a lot of it just doesn't really do anything for me. Uh, but uh, he's very knowledgeable and he's turned me on to a lot of uh, a lot of good music. I don't know if you heard him talk about the band last year
0: called Dream Car. Oh yeah, I went and tried them because that was the the no doubt guys right yeah the
1: no doubt guys with yeah, the guy yeah, from AFI. Yeah. I like that I yeah, like that you know even um Steve Wright from Potter than Hell uh, really liked that album so uh it always uh, Chris always likes to hear that you know other people he's turned people on to other music but uh like I said Sunny is on the Growing Up Rock podcast with Stephen and Michael tons of fun there um kind of the premise of it is everybody has a rock and roll story and somehow a lot of times they try to tie it back to their youth or, or sometimes pick a specific year or they recently did like their favorite Cinderella songs. And then they'll have interviews with like Marco Mendoza. They had the, uh, the uh, power, not power metal, the uh, melodic rock band uh, eclipse on there. Uh, And then of course, Sunny is on there 99% of the time. And then he has podcast rock city. If you're into kiss uh, from what I'm told, that's a great podcast. Uh, it was very well represented at the uh, rock and pod expo. But like I said, Sonny, it's, it's always a good excuse to, to talk with you. Uh, you're one of the, the, one of the nicest people I've ever met. And uh, just to, the few times I've gotten to be around you, I've just really had a good time. And it's always funny when uh, at the rock and pod expos, uh, you just kind of find a crowd of people. If you're looking for, for sunny. you just kind of try to find a crowd of people and you're always got people around you and uh, uh, you're, you're bordering, you know, podcast royalty uh, with uh, all the different podcasts you're on. But uh, just a, a real pleasure to have you on here and to talk about Prince. I, I, we've gone an hour and a half and it feels like 15 minutes.
0: Well, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, you know, I, I just like meeting new people and I love talking music and that, that just kind of... Oozes out of me. So, uh, you know, nice. I don't know if everybody will qualify as me as nice, but I will take it with the people that do qualify me that way. Um, and yeah, I just want to really thank you for the opportunity. It's been great.
1: Lots of fun. And hey, uh, next year at and Pod, uh, you, me, Chris, and uh, the Potter Than Hell guys down in the hotel lobby again. This time we're just going to set up a microphone
0: and let it roll. Yeah, we missed out on three hours of some great conversation there.
1: Yeah, I laughed all the way home and we, we uh Chris and I took separate vehicles and I was a few minutes ahead of him and I had put on that Potter Than Hell episode that that hadn't been released. well, he would just been released the one we were talking about. Right. And man, when B C started talking about that band, I just I I, I had to like time stamp it on my phone and I like text Chris. I'm like, go to like the thirty eight minute, twenty two second mark and just get ready. Uh, because uh, oh man, it was so much fun. Well, Sonny, like I said, man, just a joy. Anytime you want to come on and talk about a band that uh, or an artist you don't get to talk about on another podcast, uh, all you have to do is uh, is hit me up or hit Chris up. Uh, Chris and I have talked about having you on in the future, uh, hopefully fairly soon. Um, have you and him, um, talk about Iron Maiden. Uh, I know that's one of your uh, one of your favorite bands, the band that for whatever reason just really hasn't done a whole lot for me. and. Chris has always wanted to do an Iron Maiden episode, and I just don't have time to go listen to you know 20 Iron Maiden albums. So uh, if, if you're up for it uh, here in a month or so, we'd love to have you on to do uh, an Iron Maiden episode with us.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm in. Just let me know when.
1: All right, everybody. Like I said, I want to thank Sonny Pooney from Growing Up Rock Podcast and from Podcast Rock City. Uh, this is David. Uh, should be with you again with another podcast in a week or so, and uh, hope everybody has a good week and take care.